Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. And a very warm welcome to you. Good afternoon. It's Thursday afternoon. It is the week before Pesach. And... I know that you'll get into a lot of, well, I would get into a lot of trouble if I said that this Pesach is going to be different because that is so overworked and overused right now. And yet it is exactly the truth. I hope that your Pesach prep is coming along. Certainly not as you had planned, I'm sure, but I hope it is coming along positively and well and successfully regardless. It's fresh thinking as we do on Thursday afternoons from 2 to 3 p.m. You are with Rabbi Shishla and you are always part of the conversation. So especially at a time like this where I think everybody is finding that the more interaction that we have and the more opportunity that we have to share, the better it is for everybody. And for that reason, I think if under ordinary circumstances you participate and you share your views and opinions under these circumstances, it's probably all that more important. So here is 34519, our SMS line. Uh, you can also send messages on Telegram, 0618951019. You can tweet at Rabbi Shish. That's to me personally. You could tweet at Chai FM. And then it goes into the broader Twitter sphere. And with... With Pesach being just around the corner, I know and I'm sure that you've had the same experience and you may even be in this boat. A lot of people are facing the prospect of the Pesach Seder alone and it's quite daunting. And when I say alone, some people literally will be sitting on their own for the Pesach Seder this year. And for most people, not for all people, but for most people, that is an incredibly unusual, unique experience. Other people will be reduced just to a couple, husband and wife, usually having the beauty of children and grandchildren and relatives and friends around the table, and now just simply the two of them. Some of us will be with our immediate family. That includes our children. We're, we're the fortunate ones that have more than just two of us at the table. But it's still going to be smaller. I've never in my life that I can remember ever had a Pesach Seder that did not include people who were not members of our family. Just it's, it's a mind-boggling concept. And for that reason, I thought it would be worthwhile for us today to discuss what do you do? How do you use the circumstances, <clears throat> the opportunity that we have, the limitations that we have? How do we use these in the best possible way? How do we do it that we could ensure that in spite of the fact that the family is not all together, that we will have a meaningful, uplifting, positive, joyous kind of a Seder? And I really would love to hear from you if you are either going to have this experience yourself or if you've got some advice for others, please share it with us, 34519, if you've got the SMS line. Otherwise, you can send a message on Telegram, Telegram. 0618951019, or you can tweet at Chai FM, or just tweet me personally at Rabbi Shish. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. I suppose we sometimes forget in the age of technology that not everybody listening to the show lives in South Africa. So let's just put some context out there. We're in lockdown, and this lockdown goes all the way through to the last day of Pesach. 
So that means that it's not just a voluntary isolation that I'm not going to go and join somebody for a Seder. It's the law. And I'm not allowed to go and join or invite people, even the person who lives across the road from me who I know is going to be, ha- be having Pesach alone. As much as I would absolutely love to have them at my table, I can't. So this is the reality that many people will deal with this Pesach. Well, we'll all be dealing with a reduced crowd at our Seder. That's for sure. We will all deal with not having all our family members at the Seder. But some people will really be confronted with the possibility of a Seder on their own or a Seder just as a couple. So I thought it would be very worthwhile for us to just explore that and work through this concept. Try to wrap our heads around the principle of a Seder that is smaller than usual. I feel there's a little bit of an echo almost in the story of a reduced Seder. There's almost like a little bit of an echo of the angst that people have about the fact that Shul is closed. But this is this is more personal. Now, the Pesach Seder is, is very personal. It's, it's something that is part of our whole heritage and culture and experience of Judaism. I'm sure you will agree with me that some of your most formative memories as a Jewish person center on the Pesach Seder. And part of those memories include the hype coming towards Pesach, the characters who would sit around your table, some of them adding so much color and value to the Seder, some of them adding such uh, attention to the Seder. I mean, you know how it is. Some people bring attention to the Pesach Seder. I don't think that that is unique necessarily to any one individual family. So those are the things that play around in our minds, and now suddenly it's, it's all just so incredibly different. How do we manage this process. So I'm asking people for practical suggestions and at the same time also asking people for um, for insights, philosophical, spiritual insights, you know, because I think we all need something to be able to help us through a very different kind of Pesach. And what I'd like to try is to pull on different parts of the Pesach story or the Pesach Seder and look at them specifically through the eyes of this Solitude, this quiet, this downsized Pesach Seder. And just see if maybe that will give us insight and perhaps a little bit of solace at a time like this. It's a beautiful tweet somebody has sent over here. I just want to find it. Beautiful tweet um, from Kokopazzo says, what we should remember is that we are not alone or isolated. We are together apart. I think it's a beautiful insight because of course, of course, that's in your head. And this is where you'll find the conflict. The conflict will be between the head and the heart. So the head knows that this is not ideal. This is not how we want to have a Pesach Seder. The head knows that it's the right thing, though, because we need at this time to protect health and protect life, and that is more important than anything else. But the heart is still going to feel that that pain and that void and that emptiness and that yearning for something different. So the head can come to terms with this principle of together apart. And I, I just want to explore that for a second because I think it's such a powerful thought. It's a really powerful thought because there's two ways you could look at this, right? The one way you could look at it is I usually have X amount of people at my Pesach Seder table, whatever your particular amount is. Some people will say I usually have 25 people at the Seder and the next person will say I usually have 50 people at the Seder or whatever. So what defines my experience of Pesach or what has defined that experience until now has been 
that crowd and that environment and those people, they're the ones who have made Pesach for me. And it almost becomes tribal. It almost becomes competitive. Somebody made a comment already last week on Twitter, and it was quite funny, although not so funny. They made the comment that the one thing we don't have to worry about this year is when you go to shul the following morning, which we won't be doing, and everybody compares notes. So how late did your Seder go? So how were your Kanaidlach? What was the most interesting? Was your Seder inspiring? So all of that competition falls away because we're not going to see anybody the day after the Seder. So we're not going to have to answer those questions. Now, what's fascinating about this is obviously the intention of a Pesach Seder is to be a connection point between family and between friends. And as we say right at the beginning of the Pesach Seder, actually anybody who needs a Seder, even if they're a complete stranger, is welcome at our table. So on the one hand, that's very much the context of Pesach. But on the other hand, the more we build our own Seder, and I'm sure some people have traditions that have gone back for years, and maybe you play games at your Seder, and maybe you're those people who throw frogs, and maybe you have a particular song that everybody really gets into, and it's a little embarrassing, but it's fine because it's just your particular group of people and you and you handle it. Or maybe you've got that one perennial vort that gets shared every year at the Pesach Seder, and everybody groans when they hear it coming because they know exactly what's going to come. But whichever way you look at it, the fact is that the Pesach Seder for most people is very much in their own space and on their own terms, which means that there could easily become a disconnect between my Pesach Seder and the Pesach Seder of the neighbor next door or the person down the street. They have their Seder. I have my Seder. And I think what's interesting about this notion of together apart and what's so profound about it is that if a person is forced into a situation where who's, who sits at your table at the Pesach Seder is nominal, who sits at your Pesach Seder is less than what you're used to, Suddenly, you are confronted with the reality of, okay, so here I sit alone, physically. I'm physically alone. But when I reflect on it, I'm doing something that Jews all over the world are also doing. Some of them are doing it in a group, and some of them will be doing it like me on their own. And there's this transcendent experience that is bigger than what goes on in my dining room. That's actually what Pesach is about. There's this magnificent connection of souls that we're all participating in the same rituals. We'll all read the same text. We'll all lean to the left, to the left the same amount of times and drink the same quantity of wine and make the same wish at the end of it next year in Jerusalem. Which is incredible because sometimes I could lose sight of how much I belong to the bigger nation of Israel when I'm so tribal about the family that I belong to. And I'm not saying that's a negative thing. Under normal circumstances, it's the best thing in the world to be together with your family. And when I say family, I mean extended family. And whoever happened to be the characters who come to your Pesach Seder, this year is a little different. This year, you have to, and you need a, a visualization technique for this. But in order to have that same impact and possibly even a greater impact, you have to recognize that your Seder is part of something that is far larger than the space that your Seder table occupies. And it's far more profound than the experience that you normally have with everybody around your table and is not 
held in physical space. It's a collective experience that not only connects me to people all around the globe in spite of the fact that I can't actually shake hands with any of them. It connects me right across the generations over 3,300 years of history, all playing out. The whole Jewish history and the whole Jewish world is alive in my dining room at my Seder, even if I'm the only person sitting at that table. And that might be a good place to start this exploration. If you have thoughts and you have suggestions, be they practical or philosophical, about how people should be dealing with the psychology of a Pesach on your own, Please share them with us. 34519 is the SMS line. You can send a message on Telegram 0618951019 or keep the tweets coming at Chai FM Natrabashish. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. I guess you don't always think of the details, the little details that could make such a difference to a person's experience of the Seder. So here on Twitter, Linda says, Fortunately or unfortunately, I gave all of my Haggadahs to my son in the UK as he was going to host Pesach Seders in the future. So I suppose we don't think of little things like that. What if people are used to always going to somebody else for the Pesach Seder and you actually don't have the Haggadah and you can't go shopping for it because we're on lockdown and those shops are not considered to be essential items. So they're closed for business. What do you do now? It's a very practical point, and I think it's uh, worth just addressing. If you go onto Chabad.org, they have an entire section called Pesach Coronavirus Resources. It is brilliant what they have put together over there. Everything from top to bottom, including printable, printable versions of the Haggadah. So if you don't have a Haggadah, you can just literally go along, print one out. And it's not actually... As many pages as you would imagine. Of course, it might sound like a good idea to just read it off the screen, but you're not supposed to have screens at a Pesach Seder. So there's a practical thing that a person may may not have thought of. By, by the same token, I imagine that most people have wine and matzah, hopefully maror. Then you look at something like the charoises, which you're supposed to have on your Seder table, and not everybody, again, if you haven't hosted a Seder before, not everybody knows how you make karosas. So there again, you pop onto the website and they'll show you how to do it. Apparently, it's not so difficult. And I say apparently because my strength is not in the kitchen. So I kind of delegate that to those who are better at it. Today, we're talking about what to think about and how to confront the concept of a Pesach Seder with far fewer people and possibly actually nobody else at the Seder. So what do you do? First thing, which is a really nice point from Coco Pazzo on Twitter, was about just realize you, you're actually part of the whole. Regardless of where you sit, you're part of the whole. I'm pretty sure if we had to collate throughout history, we would be able to put together a healthy list of situations where many Jewish people, some of them our greatest leaders, had Pesach on their own, whether it was in the Holocaust, whether it was in the the, the time of, of uh, the deepest, darkest part of Soviet Russia, whether it was Jews living in Spain at the time of the Inquisition, whether it was plenty times throughout Jewish history that people had been arrested just simply for the crime of being Jewish and had to contend with, say, with the Pesach Seder in very isolated environments. So I don't think it's the first time that it has happened. Um, and there's a lot of 
well, there's a lot of insight and a lot of warmth that we could draw from people who had been through that experience. It would probably be worth doing a bit of research about it just to hear people's firsthand experience. I'm sure we must have people alive today who could report on Pesach during the Holocaust. And maybe they were in hiding and they had to do a Pesach Seder, obviously, with nobody around. I think our circumstances today, while they are far from perfect, are certainly not as dramatic or traumatic as they would have been in any of those periods of Jewish history. There's another thing that uh, struck me, but before that I want to read to you another tweet. Um, just need to find it. There we go, from Janice. Janice says, quite similar, I suppose, to the together apart principle. Janice says, on our own or with a group, it is just as much a part of our history that needs to be retold and celebrated. So it's it's quite a thing. You know, if you go back to the original Talmudic Instruction around the Pesach Seder. So the Talmudic instruction tells us that one of the key elements, and you know this, you know that this is one of the key elements. And by the way, I think this is going to be one of the most painful moments at the Seder for people who usually are with their family and this year are alone, will be the four questions. Because that's this generational interaction. That's this experience of incredible nachas. It's very emotive. It's an opportunity to connect with children and with grandchildren. You see their purity and you see their enthusiasm about their Judaism. I think not to have that at a pace I say there is going to be very difficult for many people. So if you go back to the original Talmudic introduction to how the Seder is supposed to work in the Mishnah in Pesachim, it tells us there that what should happen is a child should ask the parent the four questions. Maneshtana, why is this night different from all the other nights? And then the four different details about that. And as that progresses through the various legal works, the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch, so what emerges is this. If a couple is alone without children, so you see the Talmud addresses this question, and the sages address this question. What do you do in a situation where you are alone for Pesach. It's not a new thing. It's uncomfortable for us, but it's not entirely new. So the Talmud addresses it. And the Talmud says that if it's a spouse or if it's a couple, each spouse asks the other. So the wife asks the husband, who typically would be the one leading the Seder, although no reason why they can't both be doing it together. So she would ask him the four questions. And then the Talmud goes further and says, and if a person is alone... Then you ask yourself the four questions. Now, you know what they say. They say that if you talk to yourself, it's a sign of intelligence. But when you start listening, it's a sign that you're going sugar. So asking yourself questions does feel just a little odd. You know, if you read it in Hebrew and it's just blah, 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 because I'm reading Hebrew text, it might not feel as uncomfortable. But the goal of the Seder is that you should actually understand what you're reading. And if you understand what you're reading and you start asking questions and you're the only person in the room, you might feel just a little bit odd about that. It just illustrates, though, that the Talmud was conscious of the fact that there will be people through the course of history who will spend a Pesach Seder alone. And the implication of it here is twofold. The implication is the show goes on. You don't stop the Seder just because you don't have the possibility of interaction. It is typically an interactive event. Actually, if you think about it, it's probably the earliest multidisciplinary interactive educational tool that exists. And, and for the individual, you might think, oh, 
Okay, I'll just read the stuff and get to the point where I eat my solitary meal. Actually, the Talmud is saying, don't do that. The show goes on. You still have that sense of interaction. In other words, you still challenge yourself. If you can't challenge somebody else at the table, challenge yourself with those questions. Because questions in and of themselves open doors. The purpose of the Pesach Seder is to leave whatever environment, whether that be emotionally, whether it be spiritually, whether it be intellectually, whatever environment I'm stuck in, whatever comfort zone I've reached, now is the time for me to challenge myself to leave that. And the first step in that challenge is to ask questions. Questions like, why do I need this in my life? So perhaps the questions, the classic questions of the four, the four questions of the Seder are things of, why do I have these things in the Seder? Perhaps the more tweaked version for 2020, the COVID-19 version is perhaps, why do I insist that I need all of these things? Why do I insist that I need to have this particular creature comfort or that particular um, whatever it is? So asking questions, even if there's nobody in the room, is not necessarily a bad thing. The show must go on. And then there's another insight that we're told. The reason usually a child, and this is very profound, I think people who have to be alone for the Seder, should really reflect on this point. The reason that we ask a child to be the one to ask the questions is because we want to invoke the metaphor, the imagery of the Jewish people as Hashem's young child. You know, very often we speak about how God is our father, and obviously the implication is if God is our father, then we are the child. And that's a special relationship. You know this from your own Seder. You know how much love and how much excitement you have for the children when they read the Pesach, uh, when they read the four questions. So we all, no matter how old we are, we are like that young child in Hashem's eyes. So if there's nobody else at the Seder and there's nobody to ask those questions, I become the child and Hashem becomes my father. And I ask those questions as a statement actually of faith. That no matter how much I feel alone right now, I'm talking to my father. And I'm asking my father the questions that are playing on my mind. The goal of the Pesach Seder is not to give a history lesson. It's to relive the history. It's to relive the experience of Pesach. So as I sit here on my own at a Pesach Seder and I ask those questions... I'm asking, how do I relive this experience? How do I break out of the mindset that says, this is a bad Pesach because I have to be alone? How do I break out of the mindset that says, this is the Pesach I will always be happy to be over with because I can't spend it with my family? How do I break my mindset and live in the now and appreciate that if this is where God has me right now, then that's probably good for me. So it's quite a profound moment where a person sits there having a conversation with Hashem, asking questions to God, saying, I'm now the child, you're my father. If I was the parent and it was my child asking the questions, I would give them undivided attention. And I'm absolutely confident that that is, Hashem, what you will do for me right now. If you've just joined us, it is Fresh Thinking. You're with Rabbi Shishle all the way till 3 p.m. We're talking today about all the things that come up when you have to consider a drilled down, locked down, um, 
very simplistic, back-to-basics Pesach, which may even mean that you have to do Pesach on your own. And we tried to just navigate some thoughts about it and some practical insights. And if you do have practical insights, please do share them with us. That's 34519 if you'd like to send an SMS. Otherwise, on Telegram, it's 0618951019. Or you can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabashish. Either practical suggestions or philosophical insights for how to cope with a much more simple, smaller, maybe even lonely Pesach. If you live alone, especially during the next 21 days, then you then you need to know about the Chai FM helpline check-in service. Our counselors will call you on a regular basis to check in and make sure you are okay. It is available to anyone of any age who feels the need for it. Make contact with us by calling the helpline on... Oh, 824 2436. That's 0800 2436. Chai FM 101.9 megahertz of serving the community. Back to our conversation. If you are just joining, just tuning in at this point in time, I'd love to hear your thoughts. What do you tell people? How do you advise people? How do you advise yourself? What best to do in a Pesach like this year's? When you might well be alone for the Seder. Or you might well be just with the fewest members of the family. The so-called, what do they call it? The nuclear family. Here's something really nice um, that somebody shared. A beautiful idea from gran- for grandparents. So, Tammy says she received it from a friend. My mother-in-law will be alone. My daughter reached out to all of the cousins and asked for each cousin to pick a step of the Seder. Each cousin will then put together that part of the Seder for my mother-in-law with photos, poems, thoughts, or whatever it is that they would like to share that will make it meaningful. In the end, my mother-in-law will have 15 envelopes or more labeled for the Seder section that they correspond to from all of her grandchildren. Each envelope will be labeled, and she will open each as she gets to that section. Love this idea and can think of many ways that it can be expanded to so many others. That's absolutely beautiful. Really, that's a beautiful idea. You see, this is the thing. When people try and be resourceful, when people think out of the box, amazing things can happen, right? Beautiful things can happen. How beautiful is that? By the way, I'm sure many of you have seen that uh, both on Chabad.org they recommended it and now Rabbi Mervis, the chief rabbi of the UK, recommended it as well, that if you're not able to be with your family for Pesach, for the Seder, so then sometime on Wednesday afternoon before the, before Pesach begins, before Yontav, you do a Zoom get-together, and of course you're not going to eat matzah or drink wine at that point in time, because you may not do so at that point in time, and you definitely are not going to pretend to have a Seder, but there's nothing to stop you having an interactive experience around the theme of Pesach, so you could sing your favorite Pesach songs all together, and you can ask the four questions. There's no rule against doing a practice round of the four questions from before, and you can share your favorite thoughts about Pesach. Just have that personal connection before you go into the Pesach experience. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the fact that there's a spiritual principle called Na'utz Tchilason Basoifon. It's a fascinating principle, which essentially means that the way Hashem designed the world 
is that the end of every process takes us back to the beginning of that process. We actually sing this on a Friday night when we sing the Chadodi. So we sing in the Chadodi the words, Soif that the last action was actually your first thought. So what that means is, let's say, for example, a person has an idea that they want to, I don't know, they want to paint a painting or they want to renovate their house or they have a business idea. So that initial idea is many, many, many steps away from practical application. But when you hit the practical application, when you unveil the business plan, when you actually go to market, when you've put the final touch onto that painting, when you finish the renovation, at that point, suddenly your original idea is now visible. So what was there at the beginning comes around at the end of the process. So the end of the process takes us back to the beginning of the process. The end of the process is how things play out in real terms. The beginning of the process is how the whole thing looked in theory. So that's a principle that we have in Judaism. The end of a process is always linked to the beginning of the process. The beginning and the end are in, intrinsically related to each other. If you go to the beginning of the Pesach story, that means the very first Pesach that ever happened, 2000, sorry, 3,332 years ago. So you go back to that Pesach, and you see that the nature of that Pesach was people had to have Pesach in the nuclear family. It wasn't yet a Pesach celebrating redemption. It was a Pesach of trust and faith that there would be a redemption. That's a fascinating piece of history because obviously a year later when the Jews were in the desert and they celebrated Pesach in the desert, that was an anniversary of a miracle. But the very first Pesach that ever happened in history when the Jews sat down and roasted a lamb and ate it together with matzah and maror, they did so all dressed for the opportunity to leave Egypt the next day. And if they were dressed, ready to go, with their knapsacks packed and with their walking sticks in hand, that tells you they had absolute 100% faith that that's what was going to happen, that they were going to leave Egypt. Somehow, subsequently, the Pesach Seder has ballooned into a whole massive affair, and in recent times, more than just a massive affair, people have themes, and they dress up, and they bring props, and it's a whole production, this Pesach Seder. And now we're going right back to how the original Pesach Seder was. It was only allowed to be the members of your household. You were not allowed to invite anybody to your Pesach Seder at that time around, which is quite interesting. The Torah is very clear about it. Besides the fact that they had the blood on the doorpost and they were warned not to leave their homes, so they shouldn't be exposed to the raging death out there, which has a very strong echo in today's world. But besides that, they were told very, very clearly that you had to be part of a prearranged group of people before Pesach came in, and those were the only people who were allowed to be part of the Pesach Seder, and it was enough people to eat one lamb between them, max. Okay, well, not max, and they, they had to try and get to that number. But the point is, it was the nuclear family. We're at a point in history now where we're, we're anticipating the closing of that circle, the completion of that cycle, where we're looking at a Pesach that we've been forced back into just this quiet, humble environment of Pesach, I think it's a useful thing for us to remember that the last time that happened, the follow-on was Exodus. 
The follow-on was redemption. The follow-on was geula. The follow-on was leaving the trouble of the world that they had been living in. And I think that's where we should be focused, that please God, that is what happens for us. I would love to hear your thoughts. 34519, if you're going to send an SMS, you can telegram us on 0618951019, otherwise tweet at Chai FM or at Rabbi Shish. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Talking today about the upcoming Pesach and the concerns that people have, real concerns about having a Pesach alone. I saw a beautiful thing that somebody shared today. It's quite moving, actually. It's really quite moving. So it's obviously an older couple. You don't see who the person is because you're getting the perspective from their camera. And what they've done for their Pesach Seder is they, they've insisted that they're going to set up the table as if it was a beautiful Pesach Seder, despite the fact that there's only two of them. And I just want to say that that is correct. You know, there's a thing called Simchas Yomtev, the celebration and the joy around Yomtev. That a Yomtev is supposed to be a joyous occasion. That is mandated by the Torah, actually. <laughs> quite something to imagine. So in spite of whatever the circumstances might be, and some of us might have to work quite hard on getting to a state of Simcha, considering the nature of the Seder. But that's one of the primary obligations of the Pesach evening is to be in a joyous state of mind. So what that means is you should definitely set your table as if it was this very fancy, beautiful event. Besides the fact that Pesach is supposed to be a time that we are free and liberated and and live like wealthy people. So for that reason alone, the Seder table is supposed to be decked out no matter how many people are sitting at it. So, by the way, that's definitely something to do. Dress the part. Get dressed into your fanciest clothes for Yom Tov And make that table gleam and shine and, and just make it beautiful. No matter how many place settings are at that table. And what this particular couple has then gone and done is they've taken the chairs around their table. So, there will be the two of them. And the other chairs around their dining room table. They've taken photographs of their children and grandchildren. Each chair has the photos of a particular family. So let's say they have three children. So three chairs, each one will have the, the child, the spouse, and the grandchildren. But they haven't just put the pictures. They've actually made it into the, the – you've got to see this video. They made it beautiful. They've taken uh, paper, whatever it's called. Um, they, they made like these flowers, these beautiful flowers, and they chose a color scheme. So these pictures are – held almost as the center of each of these flowers and it's it's a beautiful piece when they sit at their seder table in spite of the fact that they won't actually have any family members with them they will certainly have the vision the view of those family members i think it's really really beautiful so that's definitely something to do what's interesting is quite a number of people have made the same suggestion that you should – it follows on from this you should set your seder table as if it was for a banquet as if 20 unannounced guests are going to come or whatever, even one unannounced guest, but you don't want them to find you forlorn. You want them to find you celebrating. A number of people have sent through, and I think this is 100% on the money, sing. Sing, and Chaya over here says, sing out loud. (laughs) Uh, Justine says, sing a lot. Definitely agree with that, right? Sing what, what do you mean sing? See, the thing is this. If you look around at the world, some of the most inspiring 
videos that we have received in the last few days are things like mobile concerts driving through Israeli streets and people standing on their balconies and singing on top of their lungs. You look at Italy where people go out onto their balconies and bang pots and pans together to create some kind of music and they sing together. You, you look at people who've coordinated, and it's really difficult to do, Zoom concerts with different artists playing in their own house and then somebody conducting them and bring it all together. This is a time when nobody is going to look at you funny if you sing on top of your lungs. In fact, on the contrary, right now everybody is looking for that. They're looking to find some joy, to find some sinker. So you might live in a house and your neighbor's not going to hear you, in which case you can sing and nobody would know the difference. You might live in a complex or a block of flats where if you sing out loud, the people around you will hear and maybe they'll join in. You might have a Jewish neighbor that you didn't even necessarily know about or even if you don't, people might start singing their own thing. This is a wonderful opportunity. And the power of song and the power of joy is that it allows us an opportunity to completely escape the environment that we are in. There are so many stories in our Jewish heritage of people who under trying circumstances broke out in song, whether it was Ani Mamin that the Jews sang in the gas chambers, or whether it was the famous Reb Michal's Lachavas Nigun. Reb Michal's Lachavas was a great spiritual giant and he once had to have some surgical procedure and there was no anesthetic and he sang himself into a state that he was oblivious to the pain and so many stories we have in our heritage of people singing and how it transported them into a different environment um, one of my favorite stories, I'm not going to go through the detail, one of my favorite stories is about a chosid who once needed a blessing for his child who was deathly ill, and his rebbe was unable to find the, the resource, the spiritual resource to give the blessing. But subsequently, he got caught up in an experience of singing and dancing, and he totally lost sight of himself and his circumstances. And the next thing, he gets called into the rebbe's room, and the rebbe says, I can now give you a blessing, because having disappeared into the world of joy, into the world of song, you've actually left your reality. You've entered a new reality and, and things change now and brochas are suddenly available now. I, that's definitely something we should be doing at the Seder this year. A lot of singing. Whatever your favorite Pesach songs are, even if you're sitting by yourself. Yes, it might be a little bit awkward at first. I definitely think it would be awkward sitting there alone in your house starting to sing. But that's only at the beginning once you express the joy of the Pesach experience and once you get caught up in the song, it will be a completely transcendental experience. You'll, you'll be transported to places you never expected. You won't necessarily be in the Seder of last year. For all you know, you might go to the Seder of 50 years ago and, and it might bring, who knows? Who knows what could happen? Definitely good advice. All those people who made that comment, it's definitely on the mark. What a brilliant insight. Um, somebody, Michelle says, enjoy the incredible opportunity. And Kim said something similar over here, which is use it as an opportunity to find your inner peace and just be one of the big lessons that we've had to confront in this whole lockdown experience is that a lot of our, I don't want to say meaning, but a lot of what runs our life and informs our life and stimulates our life comes from the outside. Running here, going to that place, having this experience, that meeting, that shopping spree, the gym, coffee, the, the way I have to present myself to the public. And suddenly we're in this unusual space where we've actually got to look inward. And it's a little daunting, maybe even a little bit frightening for some. 
but it's quite empowering. The Pesach Seder gives a beautiful opportunity to sit ourselves down with ourselves and look inward and say, what's my journey? Who's my Pharaoh? What are the boundaries of my personal Egypt? Where's my Moses voice? And how do I start to listen to it, to break out of all of that? So uh, joy, absolutely, and singing, definitely, and introspection, just using it as an opportunity to look inward. That's really powerful stuff. These are things that can make a big difference to somebody else's Seder. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the upcoming quiet Pesach. Some people are really looking forward to it. Some people are really overwhelmed by it. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Rene says that the one upside of having a Seder on your own is you don't have to wait until 3 a.m. to finish. Wow, Rene, where do you go to the Seder? We need to get some of that stuff. <laughs> I think there's one more powerful thought to take with us into this particular Pesach. And it's really, really powerful. You know, when the Jews went through the first Pesach, and going back to the point I made earlier that in Judaism we talk about how the end is wedged in the beginning, how the process at its end always goes back to the beginning of the process. So if you look at the first Pesach ever, just on the eve of the Exodus, it has a lot of similarity to the Pesach we're dealing with right now this year. And on that Pesach side where everybody had to stay home with just their immediate family, something spectacular happened. It's not just that Hashem took them out of Egypt, which of course is massive. But something else happened. And we read about it in the Pesach Seder. In the Pesach Seder we read that Hashem says, when it comes time to take the Jewish nation out of Egypt, He says, I am not an angel. I am not a seraph. I am not an emissary. It is I and no other. There's a saying from the previous Rebbe that the pshitus of a id poshut, the simplicity of a simple Jew, and that's what we will be this Pesach, would be a lot simpler, a lot less fancy, a lot less extravagant, a lot, a lot less sophisticated in the running of the Seder. It will be back to basics. The simplicity of a simple Jew connects directly to the essence of God, which is also simple, uncomplicated. That moment of the original Pesach, God says, it will just be me in the same way as it is just you. No fancy angels, no great big spiritual beings, you and I. I am personally coming to make sure that you're okay make sure that you are taken out of this very difficult situation that you find yourself. This year, if a person should have to be alone at the Pesach Seder, and even if you're not alone and it's just the two of you as a couple, or even if it's not just the two of you and it's, just, it's your immediate family, but for you that's a big deal because there won't be cousins or grandparents, and you're feeling very much like it's, it's us and we're alone, just us, yes, it is just us. And Hashem also says on Pesach, it's just me. Sometimes we get so caught up in everything that's going on around us that we don't necessarily have the opportunity to connect with what it's just all about. And it feels like this year Hashem has downsized us to get right to the core of our being, which is our soul. 
so that he can connect us with the core of his being, which is his essence. And when that happens, we don't just see the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. We don't just see a world where people suddenly rethink what's important and valuable. But we see Geula, we see redemption as Hashem intended it. Our sages tell us that the month of Nisan was the month of the original Exodus and will be the month of the arrival of Moshiach. Let's pray for that. The world is ripe and ready. We just need to get on board. And please God, Hashem answers our prayers. And we have the most magnificent Pesach ever. I want to wish you a kosher and a joyous Pesach and meaningful Pesach, no matter how many people are sitting at your table.